Welcome to the newest episode of the Color of Us podcast, Let's Talk About It. Today, I'm super excited to be with Elisa Floyd, a rising high school senior in Sunnyvale, California. She is an avid climate activist and public health advocate and focuses on using education to empower others to make informed decisions and speak out for their needs. Elisa leads Silicon Valley Youth Climate Action and founded the Public Health Enhancement Project. This upcoming year, she will serve as the student board representative on her school board district's board of trustees. Elisa has also lived and attended both school in the United States and South Korea, and she's excited to join us on the podcast and talk about how being part of two different cultures has shaped her as a person and her commitment to serving her community. Thank you so much for being here today. Hi, thank you for having me on the podcast. Um, I I met you not too long ago, but I looked at the page for the podcast and I'm just really inspired by um, the kind of platform that you're giving people to connect with, you know, others who have similar experiences. And I just hope that maybe I can share some helpful experiences today. Definitely. I'm sure you will. So first, I wanted to start by asking you about your upbringing and how you grew up in both the United States and South Korea. Were you born in South Korea or did you move there? How did that work out? Yeah, great question. So I was born in South Korea, but I moved to the U.S. not too long after, maybe like half a year after. Um, but basically, my parents um, met in Korea because my mom is Korean, so she like grew up there, worked there. Uh, but my dad is from the U.S. and he was just working there. So we moved to the U.S. not too long after. Um, but my mom really wanted to give me like both experiences. So um, I had the privilege to be able to like move in between the uh, Korea and the U.S. like every few months uh, up until like I started attending kindergarten because like um, I wasn't in school. Right. So it's a little bit more flexible. So I would go back to Korea and stay there for maybe like four to five months at a time and then come back to the U.S. So I ended up going to school in Korea for about five months. Um, so like kindergarten year. I also went to preschool there, but uh, my like core school experience was going to kindergarten in Korea. Um, and I also went to kindergarten in the U.S. because the the school systems are a little bit different. So like the timing worked out. So I kind of got to like compare those different experiences. Um, so yeah, that's like my background, I guess. Yeah, how were those two different experiences? Were they pretty similar? Or were there some pretty stark differences? Yeah, so where I live in the US, um, it's especially diverse. It's the Bay Area in California. So um, we're like extremely diverse, whereas um, in Korea, it's still a pretty homogeneous society. And so I actually didn't know any other like biracial or even um, foreign students in Korea. Uh, most foreign students in Korea um, go to like international schools. And I just went to like a regular public school in Korea. So I was the only kid who like looked different, right? So um, I think um, yeah, definitely my experience in Korea was my appearance played a bigger part in like the way that others viewed me, especially as like at that young age. Um, I think no matter what appearance does like play a bigger part just because we're still learning to like um, be able to get to know other people and um, get to know like other personalities. Um, and then coming to the U.S. and going to kindergarten here, like everyone looks different, right? So, um, but in terms of, I guess, like some key experiences um, in Korea, I think 
definitely, yeah, again, like my parents played a big part in the way that people viewed me. And just because I was like the only kid who looked different, I got a lot of attention for that. Um, not necessarily bad attention. I think a lot of like kids were curious and just like wanted to, I would always get asked like, how do you even speak Korean, right? Because like, you don't look Korean. That was like probably the main question I got. Um, I think the only bad experience I had with other kids is there were like just a few kids who um, wouldn't really want me to like join their table group. Um, I, I don't really know why, but like, and I don't judge them for it. It's just like the way that society is. Yeah, definitely those like encounters were when I first started thinking like, why am I being judged for the way I look? And I, it definitely like discouraged me a little bit when I, yeah, like couldn't join some table groups because they didn't want me to join them, things like that. But it didn't happen too often. I think what affected me more living in Korea um, was just being like outside and going into like a restaurant um, and it's out of people's kindness. They would like automatically switch to English, right? And try to help me. So it's not like they're doing anything wrong, but because I identified with Korean culture so much when um, I guess people didn't really like recognize that identity in me, it would um, really like hurt me in a way, right? Because I wanted to identify with that culture so bad. So then I would, I would just correct them, like speaking Korean again, and tell them like, no, I do speak the language. I do belong in the culture. So um, I definitely had like a lot of those experiences in my childhood. Thank you so much for sharing. On the positive note, it's really encouraging that although there were some ignorant experiences in your youth in kindergarten, children still don't seem to fully grasp the concept of race and kind of microaggressions and racism that comes with mm -hmm. it. Yeah. Growing up in South Korea, did you have any negative experiences from adults? Um, I wouldn't call them negative. I think um, definitely, yeah, because I look different, like on the subway all the time, like especially elder Korean adults will, you know, want to practice their English with me and they come up and it's out of kindness and they just want to be welcoming. Um, but the way that I took it, a lot of times um, I wouldn't like appreciate those encounters just because like I wanted people to recognize in me that I do like identify with their culture and I can relate. Um, so I, I would often like dread those experiences. And um, for example, like I, I really didn't like just going out with my dad um, because he looks, he's like white, right? So mm -hmm. it would be a pr pretty clear statement that like, we're probably a foreign family or like, tour like tourists or something. And as soon as we went into like a restaurant, um, and ordered something like the waiter would speak to us in English, right? And I, I would often dread those experiences because I wanted to be seen as like a part of Korean culture because I have a lot of pride in that. Like, um, again, I spent like pretty much half my childhood there, like identify with the food there. I grew up watching like Korean TV shows. I love the culture there. So I wanted to like be a part of that. So I often like would prefer going out with my mom because then we would be viewed as, we would just be like integrated into and not like stick out, right? And I remember one other, I guess like negative or source of anxiety for me was going to playgrounds because playgrounds are where there's like a lot of different kids, right? And of different ages too. And I remember like waiting in line for the swings or something. Kids would always come up and ask like, well, how do you even speak Korean? And then I would have to explain and kind of like justify 
um, why I was there, if that makes sense. And I just wanted to like be seen as normal and hang out with them without having to always explain like where I'm really from. So I often would like go to the playground at times when other kids weren't there to avoid those encounters. And again, it wasn't like anyone was being mean or anything. It's just that I wanted to like be integrated and not stick out. That makes a lot of sense. So growing up exposed to multiple different cultures, how did you navigate that within your own family being multicultural? Yeah. So since both my parents, they come from uh, very different cultures, there's a lot of different like family values, um, just life values that come with that. So I think like probably a good way to summarize or one of the main differences in values is especially like in the U.S. where my dad grew up, um, I think a big value he was taught was like um, put yourself first. So always follow your own passions. You should find, you know, what what will fulfill your own life and really follow that. And my mom comes from a very different upbringing where it's always about putting your family first. And that means making sacrifices sometimes to um, make sure that, you know, you're, you're living a life that will fulfill your family too. Um, and so for me, growing up in a household where there's like both of those values are present, um, I really learned to have these conversations with both of my parents um, where I got to learn to um, develop a critical lens on what are my own values really like beyond beyond race, beyond like, you know, what both of my parents are telling me uh, or beyond what they both believe. Like, what do I based on my own experiences, um, what I continue to kind of like go through on a daily basis like what are my own values going to be and it kind of yeah I just developed this really critical lens and I've had so many um, meaningful and thought-provoking conversations either with both of my parents or um, one parent at a time where I, I get to ask them like what kind of um, shapes these values that you have what goes into it and um, just like talk about these values. So that's something that I really appreciate. I'm like grateful that I get to experience and I think really influences like a lot of how I see the world with that critical lens and always um, it, it encourages me to reflect on experiences that I have um, and just constantly think about like, what does this actually mean to me and how how is this going to affect the way that I do things moving forward? That's such a good point. I have a kind of similar experience. My uh -huh. dad is from India and my mom is of Irish and Swedish descent, but was wow. from the US. So you're right. It's very much like in American culture, put your own dreams first, chase your mm -hmm. own dreams. But in Asian culture, it's more think about your family and put those you love first. And I never really thought of it until you brought it up. But growing up in America in that kind of multicultural household, has really shaped the way I think about those things. And for me, it's kind of circumstance driven. So sometimes mm. when it comes to my own career and those kind of things, I know that I want to chase my ambitions. But then when it comes to taking care of my parents, I know that I want to still be there for them and provide for them after I achieve my long-term career goals. So you're you're really right with that. I never thought of that before. Yeah, wait, I love what you said about circumstance driven. Um, Yeah, I think I totally agree. Like, having this critical lens, it also, um, I think helps us be like more open-minded, if you agree with me, like, um, yes. I guess less rigid in values and think about 
like different situations can call for different things and we don't have to just associate with like one set of values it can it can be like more I don't know if holistic's the right word but yeah we just like need to approach any situation we face with that um that like reflective process where we think about like what are the implications for myself and the people around me Definitely. I think it's a really valuable tool to have and something I'm really grateful for, for being multicultural. Yeah. So continuing on the multicultural conversation, since you can't be in both locations at once, like I know you're currently finishing up high school in the United States. How do you stay connected to both of your cultures at the same time? Yeah. So um, a key part of my upbringing here in the U.S. has been, um, I'm really lucky to have a really large Korean school by me. So every Saturday I attended, it's um, a full day of learning like Korean and the culture. Um, it's really close at a local high school. And I think it's actually like the largest Korean school in the U.S. So that was a community that I got to be a part of throughout my entire childhood and learn about you know how to write and speak Korean obviously but also about holidays there and we would always have like cultural festivals um we got to participate in electives like Korean dance and Korean art um and I just got to meet like so many other community members um who you know are Korean um and live in the U.S. So that was a big way that I got to stay connected with my Korean culture. I had that like constant of like once a week I would go and meet others and talk about this. Um, and then, yeah, I think other than that, um, I always like speak in Korean with my mom and I try to keep in touch with my relatives in Korea. Um, and I guess like to conclude, I think uh, the other two things that really help um, are obviously food, like I think food is so powerful and just like reminding you of um, your culture, but also um, I always ask my mom about like what goes into certain recipes and there's always like a story behind it, um, either about like way back when, um, you know, our ancestors like developed the recipes based on like what they had in the different seasons or just like what her own mom, um, you know, why, why she does certain things. So I think just asking questions all the time, um, I also like really like watching K-dramas and listening to K-pop. And if something comes up that I don't really like understand, I always ask why either to like my mom or my grandma. So constantly asking those questions helps me stay connected. That's such valuable insight. And I think we'll really re resonate with the listeners. Thank you so much for sharing. Yeah. Moving on to kind of a different topic, I know you're both very involved in public health and climate activism. Could you talk a little bit about your work in both of those sectors? Yeah, so um, I really focus on using education um, because I think bo both of those sectors, climate uh, climate change, but well, both of those issues, climate change issues and public health issues, especially in the US, but all around the world, they're very politicized issues. Um, <laughs> You know, it, it becomes hard to kind of dissect through like the misinformation that's out there, what your government officials are telling you. Um, so I think if we all are educated and can make those informed decisions for ourselves, I see that as like a really valuable tool that citizens should have. Um, so with both of these issues, I've really committed myself to um, create like leading educational initiatives to um, get 
uh, information in an accessible way to people. Um, so with climate change, um, I was really lucky to have some uh, elementary school teachers who gave me the opportunity to learn about it hands-on in their classes very early on and lead some projects um, for like waste diversion um, at my elementary school. And that really, I continued that through middle school and high school. And I started to read the daily news and educate myself as much as I could, not just on federal issues, but really my local community. So what was going on in my city government and my county government, because those are well, the policies decided there, the decisions made there are the ones that like really impact us on a daily basis and that I have like the power to influence, right? Um, so going to city council meetings, using my voice to public comment. And then, um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a part of, and I founded a few different organizations where we really have the platform to connect with our community members. Um, so yeah, I think that's like a short answer to that. That's such incredible work. And it's really amazing that you found your passion and are able to influence policy on a local scale with those in your community. You're absolutely right. Um, I often, when I talk to people about policy change or activism, I think a lot of people have the conception that it needs to be like big and on a federal level, right. but really the difference is made in your local communities with those you can connect with. Exactly, yeah. I know for me, my journey into activism was really influenced by my upbringing being multiple. Mm -hmm. Do you think your journey had a similar background? Definitely, yeah. Uh, I think one way I would say it is um, just being a part of different cultures definitely helped me be more open-minded as well as think about how culture influences the way that we view things. So with climate change, with um, public health, the values that we have in our cultures really do impact the way that we interact with the issue, the way that we're affected by the issue. And um, it's just uh, given me this lens of like approaching the issues with, with an awareness of cultures. So for example, um, with climate change, you know, we are all affected by it, but in very different levels. So there are many, um, especially underserved um, historically marginalized communities that are disproportionately impacted by climate change. And so um, as I started learning about environmental justice, I think I was, um, it helped me like be especially curious and want to learn more about how um, we, how we can work towards making sure that communities of different cultures and especially underserved communities, um, how we make sure that their needs are heard at the table in a movement that's so historically represented by like, you know, um, white people by um, historically represented people. So for example, um, about like a year ago, I had the opportunity to work in a farming community that's just like an hour away. And there's a lot of language barriers when uh, we try to communicate with the farmers and just figure out what type of resources um, need to uh, be conserved in the area and talk about like regenerative farming and other solutions. Um, and I know that like, I, I can't speak for them because I don't, um, because I am not a part of their community, right? But like thinking about how I can be an ally and just listen to them um, and approach those cultural barriers. Um, so that's, that's something that I'm still trying to learn and is so critical to the conversation. Um, 
I'm not like an expert on it by any means, but um, that's something that I think I'm especially like keen or like curious to learn about and care about because of my multicultural background. And then I guess um, with public health, uh, for example, recently, uh, I've been working on developing a nutrition curriculum and we've been doing a lot of like pilot lessons in a lot of low income um, underserved communities. And what we're really trying to do with these lessons is have a sensitivity to different cultures. I think most of the nutrition information out there that's, um, that is available to schools is very rigid and kind of focuses on this like um, black and white, like one type of meal thing. And it does, uh, mm -hmm. we want to really like talk about how nutrition is more than just um, eating, you know, like what's usually considered healthy, but thinking about how food is such a big part of our cultural identity and how we can approach nutrition with a more like open-minded, a more open mindset. Um, so I had some really empowering and just thought-provoking discussions with middle school students the other day, like talking about their favorite meals and what we could maybe just add to them um, to make them like even more nutrition and get get everything that they need through them. Um, but they were just so excited to share their favorite meals and like why why their favorite meals, who they enjoy eating with it. And it always came down to culture. So that's something that we really want to highlight through these lessons that we develop. That's so, so wonderful and absolutely true. I think being multiracial has definitely led me to be open-minded and more culturally aware. And something I think that's really important, particularly now in our society, is just being able to listen to one another when there's so much division and tension. And yeah. background to be able to understand other people's experiences is just so incredibly valuable. I totally agree, yeah. Well, thank you so, so much for your time today. I really appreciate everything you shared on the podcast, and I can't wait to share it with listeners. Yes, thank you for having me again. And uh, I'm going to need to continue listening to your podcast, too, because uh, it's just such an important conversation to keep having. <laughs>